of the Midwest Monsters podcast. I am joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Atari. Good to be with you again, friends, as we are still under the spell of Coronamania, and we are recording these episodes via Zoom, and so uh, please uh, forgive us that the audio quality may be a little lacking, and uh, who knows what the hell the internet will do and kick any of us off at any minute. So, um, we're just doing our best to bring you the show that uh, we love to do. So, uh, it's another installment of the Monster Mash, and I'm Grizzly Abner, and I think I chose Midsummer. <laughs> I am Professor, and I picked Jennifer's Body from 2009. Venomous Benny here, and I chose Spider Baby. Hot Toddy and... Uh... Ironically, I chose Parasite. You want to tell them what year? Oh, 1982. <laughs> so not the new Parasite, the old Parasite. I think I mainly did it because you said we had to pick new movies, so I <laughs> was trying to sell it that I was going to pick a brand new movie, but not. I was trying to give you any direction. Psych. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we decided that we're going to jump in with Jennifer's Body. Toddy, can you give us some details? Jennifer's Body, 2009, directed by Karen Kusama and written by Diablo Cody, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Johnny Simmons, Adam Brody, Chris Pratt, uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, Amy Sedaris, and Lance Hendrickson. Which is in quite, everything. Quite a lineup. Quite a lineup. Uh, so I'll just start us out here before we get into synopsis. Um, this is probably like the third time I've seen it. And uh, I'm glad Professor picked it because when it came out, it was kind of uh, universally panned and people just really gave it a hard time. But people started coming around on it. So I thought, well, I'll give it another shot. And the second time, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, whatever. Second time I watched it, and third time around here, uh, enjoy the movie. So um, that's where I'm, that's where I stand. Uh, this was my second viewing. I watched it somewhere relatively close to uh, around when it came out, and I think I suffered from what many did and just kind of dismissing it and not really getting what was being put down on screen uh, because I I think in a lot of ways the point of it was missed. Um, but with that said, I had watched uh, another movie by that director since then, The Invitation, and I really, really liked it. And so I can remember looking up what other work uh, she had done, and I was like, oh, really? I didn't realize that she had done that. And so it was kind of a combination of that and uh, just a resurgence and it being discussed on pod podcasts in particular that sparked the interest and thought, well, maybe maybe I do need to go back and rewatch this. And so 
for this podcast, that was the rewatch. I hadn't rewatched it and picked it for any other reason. I then just for these reasons, I wanted to revisit it. I had never seen it. I'd never watched it. I really had no interest in watching it. Um, I'll get into later my thoughts now that I have watched it in retrospect of not watching it. For now, I've never seen it. First time viewing. Well, and that's the thing. I don't, but before you give your uh, insight there, Toddy, it's like it just kind of looked like a cash grab that they put um, Megan Fox in, right? Yeah, so like and the, that's exactly why I blew it off. The it thing. So, hey, let's make a – Yeah, she was totally her. the it girl at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's all that disappears since then. Yes. Tommy. Uh, this is my second viewing. <clears throat> I think the first time, um, it wasn't something that was high on my radar when it came out. And it was panned, which that doesn't always factor in. But um, if I already don't want to see it and everybody's complaining, it doesn't make me rush sooner. Um. I think I watched it when it came out on home video, and I actually really enjoyed it and was surprised by it. Um, watch it the second time. Um, I don't know. I think uh, it's definitely got a bigger following now. Cause, uh, I just think it was like uh, misadvertised, and a lot of people just didn't go see it, and, uh, rather less than uh, – I notice a lot of times uh, people pan a movie, but they have not watched it. So um, I think that happened with this movie. Yeah, I agree. And I and it's obviously you can't change time, but I think that if this came out after some of the w- other work of the writer and director, like if that poster said from the director of The Invitation and the writer of Juno, that would have people going into this film entirely different than they did when it came out. Yeah, in the age of social media, it has now become a thing where you just shit on a movie before you see it. And right. Well, this uh, also, you know, uh, if this came out like in the last two years where there's a huge push for female writers and directors because uh, you have a female-driven horror movie, which is rare, so you have a unique movie. And then, of course, like most horror movies, they downplay all the, the homosexuality, which uh, there was a lot of bigger stuff in the script. Uh, but eventually, I think we'll have a mainstream um you know, without being under the radar and having to argue it on a podcast that it's actually uh, uh, gay characters that uh, we might have that someday. Yeah, man. Uh, Professor, do you want to give us a, a quick synopsis? Sure. Uh, it's it's pretty familiar territory. We open the film with Anita, our main character. She is a uh, violent inmate at a mental institution. Um, and she is basically, uh, beyond showing us her present settings, uh, we jump back in time to learn her story, uh, which begins by uh, letting us know that she has been lifelong friends with a girl named Jennifer, uh, who he, she has little in common with. She's a popular cheerleader. Uh, we head out uh, pretty quickly to a concert of an indie rock band. Uh, I think the name was Low Shoulder of that Low band. Low Shoulder, MySpace band. Yeah. And so they go to see them at a quote-unquote club, which turns out to be a little shitty dive bar. Um, And while they're there, a suspicious fire catches, and they have to flee the venue where Jennifer goes off with the band who offer to take her and get her away from there. 
uh, despite the pleas from her more responsible friend, Needy Anita, our main character, uh, where she disappears with them and then shows up later that night in Anita's kitchen uh, where she tries to eat food, can't hold it down, and vomits up black. We then uh, proceed to uh, go to school the next day where she is seemingly okay and normal, but something's different. She is not moved um, or really affected, but rather flipping about what occurred the night before. The rest of the school's devastated. Uh, with uh, some really wonderful tongue-in-cheek humor uh, dealing with with the way people handle tragedy at times. Um, but from there, she lures the uh, captain of the football team out to the woods where she completely eviscerates him, uh, destroys him out there. We then uh, have the very pretty effective scene of it being discovered and the squad cars pulled up to the entrance of the woods and it's upsetting. And on the flip side, you've got her out in the lake cleaning the blood off, completely nude, swimming with uh, music by the sword, blasting. Uh, It's a really cool scene. And um, that kind of sets the table for uh, some common uh, territory in terms of uh, the the teen strife and best friend situation uh, mixed with a little bit of that dark humor that you get from movies like Heather's. and just straight up possession and dealing with that. We chart along with her as she uh, continues to get a little worse. But that's basically the setup for it. Okay. Great synopsis. Great setup. Um, yeah, you know, so, yeah, you just took half my notes. That's great. No, good. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else say something? Open up. Uh, I so with this movie, initially I blew it off because it had Megan Fox in it. I just figured, again, like we said, it was a cash grab. They were putting the it girl of right now into a movie. Um, it really did not do anything to draw me in. And now that I've watched it, I was very surprised at how good it was. I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Um, I was the thing that really surprised me is that they allowed Megan Fox to look gross. Yeah. Because she, you know, she was the it thing and you didn't see movies in the seventies where Farrah Fawcett's covered in guts and blood. You know what I mean? Like, so I was really surprised that they let her be gross in a lot of those ways. Um, I do think that the whole thing with the band, I think it would have been much better if it was set in the eighties. And it was an '80s hair metal band. To me, it didn't it didn't feel like it fit quite as well with the style of music. That's nitpicking. How close was this to White Snake? That probably would have been too close to home. That's one of my notes. I thought, man, yeah, that's sorry. true. Burning that place down with White Snake uh, wasn't that great, White? Or yeah, whoever. <laughs> no, I think I don't know. I'll look it up. I don't know. It's great, White. Spoiler alert. You're There's great. a lot of dialogue I don't think you could get away with now in this movie. And it wasn't made that long ago. Yeah. Oh, big time. Sorry, I took Todd? all your notes, Chris. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Toddy? Uh, you know what, Todd? You are correct. It, the station nightclub fire was uh, great white. And I thought it was white snake. I like proving you're wrong. You're welcome. Yeah, well, 
I'm man enough to let you do it. So, Todd, did you watch this movie? <laughs> I uh, I did. I uh, actually stayed up really late last weekend to cram it in. Or this was my Sunday. This is my Sunday at six a.m. movie. So, did you have any thoughts on it? I said my thoughts. Okay. Well, home run. All right. Um, so I'll just chime in really quickly, and I'll say that. Uh, uh, the casting was great. I like Chris Pratt as like the wannabe towny cop. Of course, I love Adam Brody. Period. But I love him as the the guy leading the MySpace band. Um, I think Amanda Seyfried is a great actor or actress, and um, casting her in that kind of like sheepish role was perfect. Um, yeah, I think I think the casting was done really well, and and I enjoyed the direction of which they used these characters. Yeah. So Go ahead. No, go. I was going to say, I think the real, the difference here to point out and that people will gather when they watch it is there's really nothing new in this film. It's not reinventing anything. It's going into uh, pretty, pretty familiar areas. But the difference with this is the nuances, the dialogue. It's very sharp in its approach to it. And so, I mean, really, that, that's the takeaway. I think we're going to have a hard time uh, articulating that and selling it. It's like you just kind of got to watch it for the pitter-patter of it. The 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 humor, the dialogue is, is what makes this film different. I think if um, if Megan Fox ever starts doing movies again, and I used to actually not like her because I would hear all these things about her on set. And really, like, looking up Jennifer's body, I think this is the similar to what she was getting was uh, basically she's like in a kind of like a Edward Norton and in, in The Incredible Hulk, like why are people supposed to be mad at him? Because he wanted a better movie. Um, yeah. For Jennifer's Body, which I thought was actually a better movie than what they pushed it as, but um, I didn't realize at the time they were wanting her to uh, do interviews with porn sites because that's what they were trying to sell it as. And uh, Diablo Cody coming off of Juno and uh, the director actually kept it from her um, that that's what the studio was wanting. And so I think a lot of the marketing even got like uh, – thrown out for this movie a little bit because uh, um, they were not trying to uh, get on porn porn sites to uh, push a movie just because they had Megan Fox in it. Right. And and by going against that and kind of insulating her from it, I'm sure they pissed off the wrong people that would have thrown the money at the, the advertising. Interesting. So you, want, you want to kind of wrap up what the rest of the movie is uh Sure. Um, it's it's pretty basic stuff. We we watch uh, Jennifer continue to uh, explore uh, what she's got going on, which is a thirst for uh, killing. She lures a goth guy and um, does the same routine. We learn through this that by feeding off of these people uh, that uh, she can heal instantly she really can't be harmed uh we also come to learn that when she and this is pretty funny uh when the band took her that night they took her out for the sacrifice in the woods uh and on the way there she thought um that the intent was gang rape she she didn't know exactly where they were headed and in the moment she's scared and at that age she makes it clear that she's a virgin so that it won't be any fun, it won't be any good. 
And the problem with that is that's what they're looking for. Uh, but she is not a virgin. And so what that does is cause the possession to be permanent uh, with her and kind of backfires in that regard. Uh, so We're it's trying really, to sacrifice her for fame. Right. And so the it's, it's just a really sharp way to play on that very common idea of sacrificing a virgin. And, uh, unfortunately, you p- picked the popular cheerleader who lied, and there's no way in hell. Um, but basically, we, we boil down to uh, – to protect our uh, main character's boyfriend, Chip, she lies and, and basically says she won't go to the dance with him. He still goes out, and we kind of have your uh, traditional high school finale uh, centered around heading to the dance, but she lures him off to a, uh, like an abandoned pool um, and where <laughs> they all kind of converge in a big fight, and she is uh, impaled, removes it, and uh, disappears, uh, only to have our main character, Anita, sneak into her bedroom and uh, stab her to death right there in bed. And it's a pretty gruesome scene when the mom comes in to find her. Um, And that is why our main character has been institutionalized when we open up the film. She is considered batshit crazy from this. And then we do a fun little play on the end from that where she wants to hold the band accountable and she breaks free from the institution and is picked up by uh, the best ride you could be picked up from. And that's Lance Hendrickson. And uh, then through the credits, we kind of intersperse with, with the effects of her tracking down the band that was responsible for doing this and killing them. But uh, you know, as stated before, there's, there's really nothing new to the ideas that we explore there, but that's, that's how we wrap it up. Yeah. We find out that needy has been bitten. And so, well, yeah, yeah. What some of uh, Jennifer's curse has been passed on to her because she's been yeah. by her. I forgot about that because we show her kind of levitating. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's how she gets like those supernatural abilities. Good uh, stuff. I just want to say that that set for that abandoned pool was really cool. Yeah, and you can never go wrong with that. We've done that from uh, things in like Cat People, It Follows. There's something about pools that just make it fun. I uh I will say uh I think it's maybe one of the first scenes too where uh, uh it, it kind of seemed like this movie was going to be really bad CGI and I I will say they they pulled back a lot and uh kind of use a lot of the cool scenery and uh and some different tricks to to pull some stuff off than uh, it being just a bad CGI movie. Yeah, definitely. And I can't stress enough how bold it was. I know we talked about it, but to take the it girl and get her in there and not shy away from anything ranging from her looking uh, a little rough at times from the effects of this, but also they don't back away from the gore frequently no. in these movies where you're, you're really trying to make something that's got its own black comedy and, and edgy in its own way. It's still very accessible for mainstream audiences. And so we would tend to get away from that. But I mean, this gets pretty gnarly, especially like that next football captain i mean his shit yeah ripped open everywhere. it was it was a very pleasant surprise from a movie that i thought was just made to have teenage boys beat off to right you know what i mean because that's all i thought this movie was was and then i was very yeah. pleasantly surprised by it when i watched it well i'd say uh, our revisit purposes were a success then yeah definitely and i gotta throw in i love that when they're trying to sacrifice her they're saying uh eight six seven five three oh nine Yes, that was so funny. <laughs> the only thing that I would say keeps this film 
uh, from being something that I would put into like the next tier of uh, films and how I feel about them. And this is uh, certainly not uncommon, and it's not easy to do. It's the blending of horror and comedy. Um, this doesn't quite nail that down like some of the classics do, uh, which, like I said, in fairness, it's difficult. That's why most horror comedies are forgettable. Um, but that that would be the only thing. I think that if they could have somehow nailed the blend just a little bit better in either direction, that this would have catapulted the film. But either way, it's it's getting its its legs with its cult following now. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, th- I think that there might have been a little bit more meddling with the studio. To yeah. where, it's still a really good movie, I think, but um, it's actually heavier than you expect it because it doesn't have like I mean I didn't expect her boyfriend to die and um, some of the deaths are kind of uh, brutal like they're not like the exchange student um, yeah um, so there's kind of a, a, a brutalness to it but uh, at the same time it was like the, a weird can we make a PG-13 uh, a comedy too but uh, I think it works but yeah it, it didn't uh, with just a little bit more tweaking it could have been a, a better movie yeah yeah. But totally worth it for the, if nothing else, the moments of humor in the writing. I, I just want to say before we move on, one of my favorite parts is uh, our main character pointing out the absolute uh, ridiculousness of the percentage of proceeds that are going to be donated uh, from the band. I think it was 5% or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, because they were doing some, yeah, they were doing a benefit for the victims of the fire. Right, which they were responsible for. <laughs> right. Good times. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen this movie, check it out. All right. Um, let's move along. How about we roll into Spider Baby? How do you guys feel about that? Let's do it. All right. Spider Baby, uh, Vinny, it was your pick. Tell us why, and then we'll all give our impression. Do you want Todd to give the dates and deets first? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, Spider Baby. Or the Maddest Story Ever Told, 1967, written and directed by Jack Hill, uh, starring Lon Chaney Jr., uh, Jill Banner, Beverly Washburn, a young Sid, Sid Haig, uh, Carol Omart, Quinn Redecker, Redecker, uh, and Mantan Moreland as the messenger. A little bit of late racism for uh, for uh, <laughs> a late '60s movie. So uh, I'll first start by saying why I picked the movie. Um, I picked this movie, number one, I just like it. Uh, it's, it's weird, and I like it. Number, t- number two, my thought was uh, maybe some of our younger listeners who are fans of Sid Haig but aren't really familiar with him beyond the Rob Zombie films, um, that this might be something for them to look at to see some of the other things he did not that it's a huge role for him and not that he even really has lines, but just something else in his body of work that's there within the same genre that maybe would be an introductory way for a younger, uh, a younger horror fan who's just getting started to kind of dip their toe into some older horror movies. Um, so that being said, brief synopsis, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. is a chauffeur who is now the guardian of three children, teenage children, who suffer from, uh, I think it's called Mary Syndrome in the movie, 
which is an affliction that at around puberty, basically they, the family, it's genetic. Around puberty, they start to go mad and they start to devolve physically and mentally. So he's got, he's, got, he's the caretaker of these three kids and then some distant relatives after all these years find their way to the residence with their eye on taking over the family fortune and estate. Uh, so that's accurate. Yeah. That is good. So this is my second time viewing the film. Uh, wasn't entirely thrilled by it the first time, but watching it again, I have a little more appreciation for just how weird this would have been when it came out. And so even though um, I don't entirely ever plan on watching this again, I'm like, this was an interesting film to get the budget to be made at the time that it came out and to have Lon Chaney in it. So, um, yeah, so it gave me a different lens of respect and appreciation for the movie, but still not one, one that's... Uh, High on my list, Professor. Uh, I this one I am not sure at this point how many times I've seen it. It's it's one that I was familiar with even as a child. Um, I think that it's especially if somebody is interested in getting a little bit more academic with horror. I think that this is a perfect entry point uh, because it can bridge the gap between. Uh, older Hollywood and new and upcoming, uh, as well as the way films are made. Um, uh, an interesting aspect of this one is that it doesn't really get the credit that it deserves for the architecture that it uses in terms of storytelling, because this is uh, a handful of years before Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and frequently people look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre and think of the old dark house. But this is every bit uh, kind of the same approach. Now, this was not a rural location, but it's shot that way. And so it feels like you've got, you know, just this batshit family uh, out here. And it just, it, it doesn't really get that credit. But uh, Jack Hill is a, a fascinating director. Um, he was a, a true maverick in, in his approach to it. He went on to make so many important exploitation films throughout the 70s. And then obviously you have uh, previous legendary status with uh, Lon Chaney and an upcoming familiar face in Sid Haig right there on screen together. Manson Moreland uh, was in a, a parade of films in the 30s and 40s. And so if somebody really wants to branch off quickly in a lot of different directions, if this movie grabs them, that's why I was saying it's, it's a perfect entry point. But yeah, it's always been one that I enjoy. I don't think of it as one of my favorite films by any means, but I find it a, a very fascinating one for, for varying reasons. And hell, even my first autograph at a convention was was for this movie with Sid Haig. I walked up and plucked a picture uh, from this film right off of it. So it's one I'm very familiar with. I get, how, what, how did he react to you choosing that over his Rob Zombie stuff? Was there any... Did it give you any inkling that he was kind of surprised by that at all? 
No, not so much. Okay. Um, he, I know that he was very fond of the director um, just because we interviewed him a few years later on one of the early episodes for this show. Um, and so his stories about Chaney um, are wonderful uh, with how kind he was, especially to the young stars. Uh, but no, to answer your question, he wasn't blown away okay. by it. I just curious. always had a pretty good following, so yeah. I would imagine. Toddy? Um, so this is my first viewing. Um, and honestly, I, I, Spider Baby has never been on my radar until um, probably like the Blu-ray release that came out about five, six years ago. I don't think I had ever heard of this movie. Um so it just kind of uh, went under the radar for me. Um, I actually enjoyed the movie. I'm still waiting on the damn spider baby, but, uh, <laughs> but hey. Uh, I had no idea what this movie was about or where it was going. Um, I actually enjoyed it. it this is a, I actually watched this when we were originally supposed to podcast, uh, where I would have watched it on time. So... Um, the other three I watched last weekend, and this one I watched a, uh, quite a while ago. Um, but uh, watching this, I would say, I always thought, uh, obviously Texas Chainsaw, a lot of 70s films, inspired Rob Zombie. This movie had to really inspire. This, this movie was basically House of a Thousand Corpses. Such a good point. Um, I, I mean, down to even having Sid Haig in the film. And, uh, man, Sid Haig, um, especially since he didn't speak in this movie, um, I think it's definitely worth checking out just for um, kind of what he's known for now, where he's kind of always the loud mouth, uh, smart ass in each movie. Uh, he didn't even talk in this movie. So yeah. um, he definitely brought, brought a uh, cool um, creepiness to his character. And uh, considering that his whole role was based off of um, uh, just expression and, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure when they, they put this movie out that it was a, a – Lon Chaney movie, but I would say he kind of stole the show. So, oh, I um, agree. Actually, uh, I actually enjoyed this movie. So, but like I said, watching it, the whole movie, I had, I kept thinking it's going to go in different directions, and uh, uh, maybe the family were in the basement and they were spiders. I, I didn't know, uh, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. So, and uh, this was also a couple years too before um, Night of the Living Dead, which is kind of. Um, probably stole most of the thunder for the, the sixties of a uh, kind of indie horror, but um, yeah, I'm kind of a little sad that I'm just now kind of stumbling upon it. I think that this movie personally is some of Lon Chaney's best acting. Well, and it's interesting with his, and I agree with his career, he had been relegated to mostly crap by the 60s. Oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. I'm not talking like crap, that he was in even in the fifties. I mean, this was next level garbage most of the time. Yeah. But there are two moments um, towards the end of Bella his Lugosi career. Crap? You what? Would you say it's Bella Lugosi crap or? Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty close. Yeah. Um, but there are two moments in the last leg of his career that really stand out and remind you of how good he was and capable and one of them is uh, a pretty obscure television thing called uh, the Golden Junk Man, and the other is the toy speech in this. Um, that is a wonderful scene, and one that's frequently forgotten because of how weird the movie is, and that's what you tend to remember it for. But every time I watch this, when that speech comes up, I forget 
this is the guy that was in of mice and men like yeah he, he could turn yes. it on when he wanted yep i that scene is absolutely great so um can, can we pause for a second the uh the golden junk man is that the uh the pre- precursor to sanford and son <laughs> uh if anybody's interested and can track it down, it's he is a, a very poor father who does everything he can to get his kids to college, and the kids basically turn into snotty ass little brats. But the acting in it is great. Uh, Riz, did uh, you was, have anything else to add? Oh, I was going to say two things. One, when you said Golden Junk Man, I was going to ask if that was a prequel to Gold Member. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then two, uh, I was going to ask. I was going to make our listeners aware that if they don't know, the professor is kind of an amateur Lon Chaney Jr. biographer. And (laughs) along those lines, I mean, was he doing films like, I mean, I say films like this, like it sounds derogatory, but I don't mean it that way. But was he doing like, you know, any of these films, these junk films, I mean, was it for the liquor money or had he cleaned up by this time or? Oh no, no alcohol plagued him pretty much the rest of his life. Um, the aging that you can because if you think about it um like you look at some of the movies he made with universal that's not that long ago from from this and i mean he aged quickly from the drinking um but no to answer your question in short he would make just about anything um he had done there's one beloved episode of route 66 where they brought these characters back um and he played some of those in there but for the most part I mean, he was in absolute shit in the sixties, yeah, yeah. uh, but but so this this was a huge step up. This had uh, actual effort being put in, and and some some real charm to it. And, and I think he shined. He and he shined. He yeah. shined him. Yeah. Yeah. His I, uh, sincerity in this film is a is a high spot. Yes, it absolutely is. So basically, to to wrap up the movie. Um, the kids are nuts and are murdering the people who are coming to their house. Can you give and, us? Can you give the listeners uh, just a, a very brief image of our first kill in the film with that delivery man? Is that where he peeks in the window? And <laughs> yeah. then, oh Lord, she, please don't be home. And she rolls up on him holding her two knives. Is that the part we're yep, talking got, about? Caught a spider. That's what she says. She, yeah, uh, she got him in the web. Got him in the web. She's holding up her knives like pincers. Rolls up on him. And then basically you see his legs hanging out of the window. <laughs> so they, they've killed people in the house. And basically the heat's getting turned up. Everything is closing in on them. There's, there's no way that the family's not going to take over the estate. And the chauffeur is not going to be put out to pasture, and everything that Lon Chaney's character had promised these children's father that he would make sure didn't happen was about to happen. The kids were going to get institutionalized, all this other stuff. So, and doesn't he, he doesn't he creepily refer to the kid's father as master? <laughs> More or less. Yes. So. Uh, he tells him he's got a new toy. He's going to go into town and get this toy, and he's going to come back, and they're going to play with this toy. Well, when he comes back, it's a, uh, a plunger for explosives. <laughs> and uh, he sits down with them, and that's where you get that great speech out of him. 
And, and then you find out that the other family members from the past who have devolved are living in the basement and are these wretched zombie-like characters living in holes in the ground in the basement. But uh, so finally, with his teary goodbye, he pushes the plunger and the house blows and kills all of them. So it's a feel-good story. <laughs> feel-good hidden in summer. It's been, and all, if you're interested in watching this, it is so easy to get a hold of. Yeah. Like, if you have a smart TV or a Roku, get on and search the name. You're going to have several sites that come up with this for free. Yeah. Commercial free. And actually, Prime. Yeah, I was going to say, all the way up to a beautiful release from Arrow Video. I mean, it's, it's available basically in every level of quality and platform you want. Well, one thing to echo Hot Toddy's remarks about it lifting so much uh, House of a Thousand Corpses lifting so much from this uh, that really stood out to me this time is Spider Baby uh, herself and how much Sherry Moon Zombie is mimicking her her movements and psychotic childish girly behavior. I mean, it is it's spot on and something I'd never really thought about until this viewing. It uh, I, I don't know what it is about this movie that works so well for me. But I've watched it two times in the last five, four months. I guess it's something about it really hits for me. And I just get a lot. I get. I really enjoy sitting down and giving this a watch. Yeah. It never it's goes not, too far in any direction. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not Casablanca by any stretch. But I don't know. I find it real enjoyable. Yeah. It's definitely not Casablanca. It's better. <laughs> hey, yo. I would say uh, Spider Baby for me, like a... Uh, uh, the Big Bird Cage, which is also Sid Haig, and jeez, uh, um, I just went blank there. Uh, Pam Greer, which uh, again is uh, Good Times, uh, and, and totally against some of the stuff he's done, including uh, watching Sid Haig seduce male uh, prison guards. But uh, <laughs> this and uh, Spider Baby, uh, I would recommend just for the fact of uh, how different they are for his uh, for the roles that he plays. So. Yeah, I I would recommend this uh, in all kinds of different directions if yep. if people are interested. It's just as a standalone film. If if you're a 20 year old first getting into to watching more and more movies, it may not be for you. But uh, there's a lot of different tie-ins to this that could lead you to it, and I think it's yep. an enjoyable watch. And uh, another one I would recommend that's not straight horror is The Pit Stop, which um, Hill also made with Sid Haig. I think just a year or two after this, maybe. But it's excellent as well. Um, I just have to ask, though, what's up with that lawyer's uh, Hitler mustache? <laughs> Damn fascist trying to ruin everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, which, on, which would later be you're only later become the Michael Jordan mustache. <laughs> what's that? It would later become the Michael Jordan mustache. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good time. Spider Baby. Spider Baby. Let's roll into uh, Hot Dobby's big film called Parasite. So I chose Parasite 1982, um, directed by Charles Band, written by Alan J. Adler, Michael Schaub, music by Richard Band. Uh, One of the producers is Irvin Yablins from Halloween. Starring Robert um, Gladini, I, probably one of her first movies, Demi Moore. Uh, Tom Villard, who I 
love in movies. I didn't even know he was in this movie. Um, is it? It's Sherry Curry, right? Sherry, Cherry, whatever. The Runaway Singer. Um, <laughs> Vivian Blaine, uh, Scott Thompson, and um, Alphon. Um, so basically, this was an easy one. I picked it because Parasite just won uh, an Academy Award. Uh, and I had just bought this movie on Blu-ray. I had never seen it before. And uh, I'm familiar a little bit with Parasite. I've always associated this movie with Piranha. And it looks, I always thought it was about a killer fish, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, that cover art. Because uh, the Parasite, especially since it makes the cover art, uh, it looks like a big fish to me, like a, like a piranha. Uh, or piranha, uh, as they say in the original movie. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this was you know, I've never seen a purple uh, chicken, so I drew a purple chicken. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so uh, I literally uh, I own this movie, and I literally took the plastic off last weekend and watched <laughs> it for the first time. Are you happy with your investment? Um, I usually always am, yes. <laughs> you trick yourself into it. Um. This was my first viewing, and uh, what a film. Let's just put it out there. Um, can can I pause what? real quick, though, and say what a what a perfect time to watch Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. As, uh, as during this time, which uh, uh, that was a, a happy accident, I guess, because I had no idea. Uh, I'm going to dead set be honest with you. I did not hate this movie. Um, <laughs> I found it. Uh, to be on par with stupid fun as much as Doom Asylum was. So, oh, <laughs> I thought you said you liked it, or I'm sorry, you said you didn't. You didn't hate it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this is a film that I could I could see like if we're sitting around drinking, being like, yeah, let's put on Parasite, and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So, well, I definitely uh, think it'd be better if you weren't paying full attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> I just made uh, this left the podcast. <laughs> Wait, did Grizz really leave? What? No, okay. There he is. Right. Out of blankly. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, this was my first time viewing. I did not know really much of anything about this movie other than I seen the poster for it before the artwork um when it started and it said charles ban i immediately <laughs> uh slumped down in my chair a little bit and lowered my expectations <laughs> along with my posture uh which is needed uh for band films which that's okay i mean i enjoy some of them uh, but it instantly kind of let me know to a certain degree where we were headed um i about halfway through it, I was pretty miserable, but by the end of it, um, I was okay with it. I didn't love it or hate it. It, it ended up faring enough uh, entertainment for, for it to have not been uh, something I would pile on, but that's kind of where I stand. It, it was my first time viewing, though. It was the first time viewing for me as well. Um, had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, as I watched it, it elicited quite a few laughs from me, and I don't think on purpose. Uh, so I enjoyed it from that point of view. Um, 
it's a little long, I think, or at least feels a little long. But by the end of it, I'm not mad that I watched it. I had a good enough time, but I, I don't foresee the time where I go, you know what sounds good tonight? We'll pop in Parasite 82. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say um, I, I thought it, I found it enjoyable, but I have to agree. It, it did feel uh, long at times. <laughs> But um, it's definitely amusing, especially the the plot and uh, and that it's a futuristic movie. Uh, and uh, actually, yeah, weird, weirdly, I had to Google it while I was watching the movie. But I was like, I wonder. Um, so this movie came out in '82. I was like, when did Ashton Kutcher? When was he born? So he was uh, four <laughs> years old when uh, when Parasite with Demi Moore came out. Just want to put that out. <laughs> so technically, she's a parasite. Or he so is, I noticed, uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but when I was poking around on this movie, she said that this was the worst movie she was ever in. So she does not hold it in high regard. Big surprise, <laughs> though. Well, how many movies had she done up to this point? It couldn't have been many. Nah. I always, thought, I mean, one, I always thought One one Crazy Summer I always thought was one of her first movies, and that was like 86. What um, year What year did um, I Stood in Your Grave come out? Random question. 70, was that 78? I know where this is headed. I was going to say, is this around the same time that she was the ass model for the cover of I Spit on Your Grave? A lot of people don't know that. But that well, I didn't know. Uh, ah. Yeah. So yep, that, those are Demi's cheeks. Those cheeks hanging out of those drawers are, are, are Demi more. Uh, here's a fun story for you guys. I have a brother that's 12 years younger than me, and when he was a toddler sitting in his high chair and he wanted more to eat, he said to my mom, Demi Moore, Mom. Demi Moore and my mom, <laughs> my mom, uh, where I get much of my sense of humor, would hand to her chest, a mouth open, and go, Honey, it's me, Mommy. It's me, Mommy. Can you believe it? He's getting me confused. <laughs> and we all collectively roll our eyes at it. <laughs> Todd, you want to give us a synopsis? Okay. Um... Well, uh, set in the future of 1992, um, uh, I guess he's not a mad scientist, but a scientist is working on, uh, 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 I guess, experiments uh, messing with par different parasites. And, well, not sure what's happening, but... I was going to say, Wilson disappeared, but pause real quick. 1992, <laughs> yeah. 1992, the year the Richmond Red Devils won the Indiana State Basketball Championship. Respect. All right, go ahead. Okay, well, um, this film was a darker future than our 1992. Um, <laughs> That's right. But uh, uh, basically, uh, the the parasite is uh, it goes it goes wrong, and it's uh, it actually uh, takes over the scientist's body, where it's actually growing in his gut, uh, and uh, and he escapes um, the laboratory. To uh, he's he's got the parasite within him, and then the uh, a parasite that he is using to experiment on for a cure, um, leads him to, um, at this point, it's kind of uh, apocalyptic, I guess, uh, apocalyptic on a budget. Yeah. So oh. it's a small town. Probably why this movie felt like, for me, an American-Italian horror film. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, Charles Band style. Um, so yeah, it leads to a small town where, uh, I guess she probably was a formal uh, actress. Um, 
and uh, just very uh, limited people in the town. And uh, you got some street toughs, uh, gang members that are, uh, you know, giving him a hard time. And uh, and you also have um, uh, a man from the lab that's trying to uh, to catch up with him. Uh, and it kind of kind of leads us to this small little town. Okay. <laughs> I did not. The, uh, I didn't expect the angle of the post-apocalyptic world that they were going with, which I found to be a when I saw how they tried to present it. Like, yeah, it was just not there to to pull it off. Yeah. So the the whole vehicle for this film is about as basic as it gets, because you you've got the the future settings. Um, with the people who have taken over, known as the merchants, enlisting him to create this parasite for crowd control or population control, and uh, inadvertently uh, realizes that this is a bad thing that he's being put to. And I mean, it, it's it like you guys said, it feels like so much longer of a film than it is at eighty-five minutes. Uh, and I think part of it is because of that, because there's really nothing novel to uh, what what we're laying down for the narrative because it's doctor escapes with it, catches it accidentally, then roams from town to town till he meets the girl that decides she's going to help him for uh, ultimately an ending that for the most part you would expect. The laser gun cracked me up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, laughter on that one. This was definitely a three-hour, 85-minute film. Yeah. I wish this was three hours. I, can I tell you my favorite scene, though, is uh, is when they pull back the uh, the blanket and the parasite is, like, laid up next to her, and they're like, don't move. And then you actually get to see uh, the parasite, which is good times. Um, <laughs> uh, it kind of looked like maybe one of the rejects from Piranha. <laughs> um. Oh, also, um, did we mention it at, at all, too, that by the way, this movie was in 3D. Oh. Yeah. Uh, really? I love... Oh, oh, now your view changed, didn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that slimy green font they used for the title at the beginning. I was like, it's pretty gnarly. I was like, okay. Okay. You got my attention. Um, and then immediately I was disenfranchised by the rapey crazies at the intro. <laughs> uh who it was all a ploy, you know, he rescues her from the baby guys and then she tries to attack him. That's just what she's into. It's one of her kinks. And <laughs> right. uh, yeah. I'm going to upset some listeners. I am not trying to future kink shame anybody here. Okay. So, uh, uh Chris, this is, did that one scene remind you at all of Jake, the snake and macho man, Randy Savage? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and some things uh, from the future here. Gas is forty dollars a gallon. They got that Close. one right. Close. <laughs> During a pandemic, <laughs> uh, silver is the currency, and um, I just love that black Lambo that they're cruising in. Well, yeah, I love how they blew their whole budget on that car. <laughs> <laughs> that Lambo is where all the budget. Works. And then the gang's car looks like Ricky's from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they kept the virus in a the thermos. Like, 
that you're going to take to your work site and keep your coffee in. <laughs> I, li I like how Demi Moore got her ass whooped this entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't catch a break. All right, and uh, you want to take us home with the ending, Toddy? Um, uh, so the uh, uh, the climactic ending is that as the uh, everybody's catching up to the the scientist who is hiding out with uh, Demi Moore, uh, the parasite eventually uh, d does he figure out a way to shock it? But it ends up coming out of his stomach. Uh, high frequency. Yeah, high frequency. Um, which you know, I guess uh, out of the stomach's better than having a butt baby. Um, but uh, they kill the they kill that parasite, and then he's got which is the next title of the next trauma movie, by the way. But <laughs> I was gonna say that's the uh, filmography of Charles Band. Uh, but actually, please. actually, they're on Butt Baby Part Four uh, in trauma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, the uh, the and one parasite tried high frequency for the coronavirus. I just I just throwing it out. I've been following what the president says, and I've been drinking Clorox, so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, uh, they uh, killed the one parasite, and now they're working on, on trying to wipe out the other. Because, oh, by the way, if, uh, if, if, this, uh, if this elevates, it's, um, its spurs could just wipe out the whole, uh, I guess, ten people that's left on Earth. Um, and uh, that's our climactic ending. Boom. Biggity bam. Uh, would you guys recommend this to others? I can see a lot of people not liking it, but I'm, I'm actually shocked that it just now, um, it's never really had a big push. If anything, it's it's not because it's a good movie, but all the names associated with it and Demi Moore, I'm shocked that, uh, that this wasn't like a hardcore push like as a kid. And, and again, this was not really on my radar. Other than I do remember the box here and there, um, but I always thought it was about a killer fish. Yeah. So I was off. Uh, I would not recommend this to the casual viewer, but if you're looking for a perfect double feature with Ghost, maybe explore it that way. Um, but I was thinking watch Parasite '82 with Parasite uh, 2019. No, that could be a little bit of a mind blow, but uh, or if people are obsessed with uh, 3D films, maybe check it out from that angle. Get it? Can I also, can I also say that uh, Parasite 2019, I didn't know anything when we went to see it. Um, this is more of the on terms of what I was expecting from Parasite than what <laughs> Parasite 2019 was. So um, I would say different if you go were into a late night double feature picture show, this would yes. be uh, the one for you. I, um, you guys know I have a soft spot for uh, some some schlock cinema, and this one hit for me. And you guys know I'm inconsistent. Like could have, I could have just immediately hated this, but uh, I would say if you are a fan of the genre and you uh, are just as big of a uh, nerd for this stuff as we are, and you want something to put on late night after a few drinks, uh, this is your ticket. I think you have a boner for apocalypse movies. Do you think that you would have liked it more if Charlton Heston was in it? Oh, big <laughs> shit, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not hard to please. I like. I like werewolves. I like cults. I like witches. I like apocalypse. <laughs> uh, I think the the bummer for this one is the planned sequel. 
that fell through because of the collapse of NBC Pictures, which is weird that that NBC Pictures collapsed because it was like releasing Phantasm and some other really cool movies, but... This was supposed to have a sequel? Yes. I'm going to make it and make you watch it now. So. I knew that you would fully support a sequel. It's called it's called Butt Baby Parasite 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Parasite 2, Butt Baby Boogaloo. That's actually how they killed it. They killed it with an electric boogaloo, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Parasite 1982. Let's... Uh, Round third and head home, and uh, we'll jump into my film here, which is uh, Midsummer. And I want you to know that it is not Midsummer, it is not Midsummer, it is Midsummer. That's how they pronounce it in the film and in interviews. So it's spelled a little different because it has an O and an A, but it's pronounced Midsummer. And, and do we already do, invited the hate mail? <laughs> <laughs> and do we go ahead and disclaim it right now of what we're about to do? Yes. So, if you have not seen Midsummer, I oh, Midsummer, <laughs> Midsummer, Midsummer, Midsummer. Uh, if you have not seen Midsummer, I would recommend stopping listening now and checking it out because uh, just because of the nature of the film. Uh, much like Hereditary from the same director, you jump into pretty shocking spoilers right from the beginning. So, and we spoil everything, but this is a new movie, so right. It's it's on the newer bend. So if you have not seen this, um, I would I would suggest cutting out now. If not, stick with us and hear uh, hear our review of Midsummer. Um, so, Toddy, why don't you give us dates and details, and then we'll uh, we'll go around and do the initial hot takes. So, Midsummer, uh, 2019, written and directed by Ari Aster, uh, who had just came off of Hereditary, uh, starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Wilhelm Blumhagen. Come again? Uh, <laughs> Wilhelm Blumhagen. Blumhagen. <laughs> <laughs> For all the Swedish names, you can just say Flurgen, Schneergen, Birgen, Birgen. Gertie, Gertie. Uh, William, Jackson Harper. <laughs> William Jackson Harper and uh, Will Poulter. Who's the kid that was on uh, We're the Millers and uh, Bandersnatch? Will Poulter. Will Poulter. Yeah. That was actor. Like him. Yeah, he was actually supposed to be uh, Pennywise. Yeah. They let him quit when the director was changed. Which, so. uh, he's, uh, I like that actor, but man. He's pretty creepy, so that would have been a creepy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think maybe a good choice as well. Yeah. Hell, I was told after he wrapped waterfalls and we're the Millers, but whatever. <laughs> I think he would have made a good. Uh, any any hangs mm -hmm. don't. So you know important factors. Always. So this is my second viewing, and okay. my initial take off of the top is that I was very excited for this film uh, because I just told you all that I am a mark for cult films, um, especially folksy cult films. And so uh, I was a huge, huge fan of Hereditary, my top 10 film, probably my number two of the last decade of the, 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 the teens. Um, 
And so went to see this in the theater. So this is only my second viewing of it. Um, which, which I think we need to put a disclaimer that you paid to see something. In I the paid money. Full price. My hard-earned money to see this in a theater. Um, so, all right. So I'll break their here overall. It's, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. All right. I'll say that. Um, but uh, those of you who have listened to the podcast for a long time know that I'm a supermarket for the Wicker Man. And so I feel like this was a hipster Wicker Man that was 40 minutes too long. And so that's my, that's my initial take. And the first time I watched it and my follow-up viewing, it's a good movie that is just too long. So, uh, are, are we talking about the, the original version or the half-hour longer director's cut? Oh, Lord. There's a longer one. Yeah, it's it's you can see it on iTunes. It's been released in the UK on disc as well. I bet that started COVID nineteen. All right, Professor. Uh, this was also my second viewing. Went and saw this in the theater with Hot Toddy last year. I uh, was very very excited for it as we were all fans of Hereditary beforehand, and this looked very very promising. Um, some of what kept me from absolutely loving it is still the same after a second viewing, but I will say this, um, and I don't want to go into too much stuff because I'm sure we got some good conversation ahead. Um, I did like it a lot more this second viewing because I focused on the film for its merits as opposed to getting too wrapped up in things that I thought it was derivative of um, like I did the first time. And so as a standalone film, I think that there, especially with the day whore and the folk, folksy angle to it, there's too much good there for me uh, to be dismissive of it. And I think that I was maybe a little too dismissive of it uh, after the first viewing. So this second viewing bolstered it, its strengths for me a lot. Okay. This was my first time viewing. Um, I, was, I also really enjoyed Hereditary. Um, I did enjoy this movie, and of course, I you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about this movie. Like, there, this movie is both both highly regarded and extremely polarizing with people. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the film. However, I don't find it to be the mind blower that a lot of people seem to. And this is in no way a jab at anybody or a detriment, but it does seem that people of a certain age are the ones who think this is Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just an observation. Um. So this is uh, my second viewing. Uh, as the professor said, we went and saw it in the theater. Uh, we actually both went and saw Hereditary together, which was, I think, a mind-blowing film, uh, especially watching it in the theater. Um, if I'm being honest, when, when this movie ended, um, I didn't know exactly how I felt. Like, I know I liked it, um, which, spoiler alert, I like most things in the theater. Um but it's, I don't know, it's a, its definitely a different movie, and it's its not what I, I guess I didn't really know what to expect from this film, um, but it was a, I don't, I don't know, um, 
it was definitely, I felt like a little bit longer than it should have been. I agree with that. Um, of course, watching movies in our theater that are like midsummer, um, it's uh, with our with uh, some of the audience members here, kind of like uh, any foreign film that plays here. Uh, you get to hear commentary such as, if I wanted to read, I'd pick up a book. Uh, <laughs> so seeing movies like this here is uh, pleasurable uh, for that fact. Um, I think there's some stuff I caught on early on where you just kind of like gaze off and uh, you just see weird shit and then kind of like similar scenes where uh, where she's kind of like um, she she passes her dead mother. So just a lot of it's really a weird movie because there's a lot of under under uh, a lot of the horror element and creepiness of it is this weird undertone and it's not just out in the um, <laughs> So, um, watching it for this viewing, I um, thought we were podcasting last weekend, so I watched, started watching this Saturday night about 2 in the morning. Uh, not a fun movie to um, try to watch when you've been up all day. Um, so, I started dozing a few times, and I'd wake up with uh, a, a lot of the weird creepiness going on, or I would think that I fell asleep for half the movie, and it would, because uh, just a lot of weirdness to this. Um, and I can't remember if I saw it in the original viewing, but I know people were talking about Easter eggs and stuff. So I definitely noticed more like um, like her her dead sister is in her face is in the trees. Um, so just a lot of weird stuff like that that I did never notice the first viewing. Um, I'd say if I if I had to compare the two, uh, I think it's kind of almost wrong to, to to compare like be like oh if you love Hereditary, because I feel like uh, they're two totally different movies. Um, I, I still would say that I enjoy this movie, but I think I had more of a high seeing it in the theater the first time, um, than, um, the second time around, but it's, I still enjoyed it. Okay. Well, let me hit you all the brief synopsis here. Um, tell us about Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> our main character. What, what's her name? Danny. 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 So, Danny, all right, again, so we already want to do spoilers. So if you're still listening and you haven't seen it and you're mad about spoilers, you can play right off. Right Turn them shits off. Um, so, Danny, we start, and Danny is already kind of a high-emotion individual. And she's, she's got these emails from her sister that are troubling, and she's trying to call home, she's trying to call her parents, her sister, she's emailing, nothing's happening, call her boyfriend. Her boyfriend's kind of shitty about it, right? So we got to start there at the beginning. Her boyfriend, not the most supportive. And she's like, I know something's wrong. Something's out of the ordinary. And he's like, nah, you know, she's just bipolar. You know, you've got anxiety. There's something's wrong. Something's wrong. And we cut to the boyfriend at a diner with his friends. And they're all like, when are you going to cut the shit and dump this girl? Like, you know, she's just a drag on your life, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, oh, my God, is she calling you again? And yes, she is calling him again because she just received a call from emergency services in her hometown where her family is because her sister has murdered their parents and then put the hose up to the car exhaust, ran it up to her room, put like a plastic bag over her head and went to sleep with the exhaust room. And so it's that same shocking intro style like Hereditary had with the little girl getting her head 
us at all. Sorry if you didn't know about that. Um, we already <laughs> told them. <laughs> we done told you if you listen to our show before. So it then becomes like she's caring for her. She's, you know, obviously in a state of distress. And then, you know, I don't know, the film flashes forward a month or two, maybe a few, and uh, they get to a party. And at this party, they reveal that he and his friends are going to Sweden with their Swedish friends. She's like, well, that's weird. He never told me about that. And so it becomes this whole awkward thing about, he goes, oh, by the way, you know, after he, he and her settle their stuff out, um, he's hanging out with his friends that they're going to Sweden with, part of them working on some of their PhD stuff. And he goes, oh, by the way, I told Danny that she could go to Sweden with us, but she's not. But I also told her it was your idea, but she's not going. And guess what happened? She goes. She go to Sweden with them, right? So um, they're going to Sweden. In fairness, it would have been a short movie. <laughs> right. She's like, I'm not going to go. In credits, right? Um, Some awkward so, scenes right there, by the way. <laughs> what's that? Some real awkward scenes to sit through yes. during those conversations where she thinks she's invited, but the dudes aren't really into it. And, like, it's awkward as shit. Very awkward, very discomforting. Great camera shots. Excellent camera Yes. Shots. Lots of conversations happening where cameras being shot at the mirrors. Um, so they're going to Sweden, as, like I said, some of them are working on their PhD projects for, like, sociology and such. Um, and they're going because this their friend from Sweden, the village he grew up in is kind of a commune that is still holding on to some of the old ways and traditions and pagan religions. And it's their midsummer festival. So it's their summer uh, solstice festival. And so we go to Sweden and we start with this village with this weird shit. And boom, let's start there. What do you guys got to say from this point? When you put it that way, I realized why I can't. I guess I like this movie better when it was. I still wouldn't know what you did last summer, but exactly. You know, uh, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'm disappointed they didn't get Jack Black with uh, some beads in his hair for this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> the first thing, the first thing that struck me about this movie is for being a horror movie. It's complete. It completely goes against it with color scheme. Nearly everything is in broad daylight, bright colors galore. You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody has a very sweet looking face. There's no creep. You know what I mean? The creepiness isn't there. It just the tone of the movie, visually, does not fit the genre that it's put in, and that is a positive that I see in the film. Sure. Um, I, I think that it's uh, very, very compelling once we get there. Um, you know, the stuff that's already been mentioned, I mean, that is some nightmarish presentation for the suicide and the uh, killing of the parents and, and the grief from that. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough right from the bat um, and, and adds gravity to our scenes when we get there. You think about what these characters have been through leading up to that. And, that and is, it, I love it, that. Let me pause Go real ahead. quick, because I like what you're building on here. Um, All right, Kanye. 
<laughs> and she's not well, right? No. Like, this is early enough. Like, she had problems before this, and now she is not well, and she does not need to be going to Sweden and doing drugs, right? Right. <laughs> she's not well, and on top of that, her her only excuse for a support network is who she's with. And as you quickly realize, that is not a good support network. Um, this group is not interested in what she's going through or her situation, other than the boyfriend who's kind of proved um, that he is young and doesn't understand really the, the concept of what being a good boyfriend is. And there's very uncomfortable moments throughout the first half of this film that uh, – I think strike home for a lot of guys that learned from missteps in relationships when they were younger, whether you're being too possessive or disingenuous. I think that he's uh, an interesting character from that aspect because they're very, very squeamish moments with their interactions and, and how they're treating each other and what they think each other needs, especially him to her. But um, I think when we get there, it's, the, the tension is building because of the uncertainty and all of the um, kind of surrealism, especially when you mix in uh, the hallucinogenics that they're doing and all set during the day. And it reminds me uh, of some of the strengths of Polanski back in the 60s with like Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. There's some really interesting stuff going on there. And the, uh, a theme that we'll discuss as we continue to move through this movie is he directs the hell out of this thing. I mean, it, Aster is in complete control of the film. Now, it's as you mentioned with the length, I agree. He also needed an editor uh, to get in there and say no on some things. But I, I really love that first segment and, and patch of film when we first get to the land and we're just taking it in. I think that's some of the most interesting moments of the film. Yeah. I think a lot of what you just mentioned is indicative of what a problem is with this movie as a whole. And it is none of these characters are likable. Yeah. None of them. So at least in Rosemary's baby, you liked Rosemary. And so she was your lens to see this film through. In this movie, our main character is also unlikable who you're supposed to be seeing it through the lens of. She's irritated. Even if you don't. And that to me makes it difficult to enjoy the movie because I didn't like anybody who was in this movie. Well, I was just going to say, even if you don't uh, like her, um, she, she at least is a step above the rest with her baggage. That's fair. So you still unlikable. But you're right. She, you don't have as much of an emotional uh, fear for her that you do a lot of. Yeah, because because I didn't give a shit. Like I, I found her kind of annoying too. Like, and I think it was true to. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing because I think it is true to life, in that not everybody is likable, and even though she may be a decent person because of the way she outwardly she is because of the baggage that she carries. It just kind of makes her – his friends aren't wrong Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? They're not completely wrong. And so yeah, 
neither one of them are ready for that relationship. Yeah, it's multi, it's multi-layered, and and to that extent, it is very real life in that way. But I just find in the presentation of a film, you have to have a touchstone as a viewer to have somebody that you're kind of rooting for in this thing. And to me, nobody was fucking likable. Fair enough. I think uh, for me, what works for this movie, and I guess this is where I could maybe compare it to uh, Hereditary, is they're both they're both uh, underlying they're they're both films of grief, um, and how how they're handled. Um, what I thought was uh, cool about this movie is, especially during our our current political climate, and so many people. Um, thinking that you completely have to agree with um, our commander-in-chief uh, and not question anything is um, uh, and knowing all the things that's happened to this person of how easy you can be coerced into, um, uh, you know, people start showing you love uh, even if they're strangers. And, um, you know, like, uh, like Manson or, or uh, Jim Jones or any other cult, uh, you find somebody that's broken and they don't have any support system, and what they do have is, is shit, and then you bring them in, and you start showing them love, and um, and that you care for them, and how easy it is to um, coerce somebody into um, your way of thinking, and um, basically uh, getting you to, uh, to join their group. So to me, it was just about the, uh, the Trump uh, presidency, but that's me. Midsummer, the end. I think most films are produced. <laughs> also, I know what you did last summer was also about the Trump presidency. But. <laughs> so, so they get there, and they they have to chill at this place where the younger folks chill before they can go on to the village. Village is this before Eric Stoltz shows up as full on mask? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is before that. So they go there. They do shrooms, they hallucinate, she has a bad trip, like, it's all part of, like, the shit with her remembering her family and the struggles with that. Um, we get to the village, and, you know, they're all in, in white, and they're wearing flowers, and they're so kind and warm and inviting, and, and they've got their weird meals, and they, you know, they're, they're all standing around the table, and it's like, okay, can we sit down yet? And the Swedish guy says, no, we'll, we'll sit down when it's okay to sit down <laughs> and it's like there's all these weird little ticks that draw you in to what's going on and um they got their little ceremonies and lots of shouting in swedish which is always fun um and then we get to the first deaths and again this is the last time i would draw a comparison to wicker man but like but it's fair right it's 100 percent fair because that's what was on my mind the entire time that I watched this. You get to these first deaths and they're shocking, but they're not surprising. Like, and, and I think, and I think that's the problematic domino effect. If you have a lot of experience with cult films is that you see a lot of this coming from a mile away. And I am a passive observer, right? I am not an active observer. I am not looking for clues and hints and, and all these things the first time I watch a movie. I sit down to watch a movie, and I open my brain to my eyes to just live into it. So I am not a detective. 
I am not trying to solve the ending. I know lots of people who are like that, and that's fine. But I sit down and I put my phone down the first time I watch a movie, and I just try to live into what the director is showing. And you're right, Professor. He does direct the dog shit out of this, and, and I, I don't fault him. Anymore. How do you watch Clue? <laughs> yeah, I have some Clue. I know, but how do you watch Clue? What's that? How do you watch a film like Clue? <laughs> All right, so if a film is trying to make me think things, like a recent example, Knives Out, then my brain is working. But not that's not this is not that type of film, so please quit trying to trip me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, again, a lot of these hits, like I said, starting with those first deaths, those are shocking. Um, for those of you listening, it's these are the first sacrifice deaths. So they're midsummer festival are these phases of sacrifice for you know the sun to come back for all. And none of it is like the Undertaker coming to the ring at WrestleMania, where it's torches and black robes and all this. It's all a very serene, white linens, bright flowers. Like so, it doesn't hit tropes that way. Yeah, right. And so you're watching, and you're like, oh, these old people, he's already explained the cycle of life, you know, 18-year intervals, 18 is the spring of your life, you know, infant to 18 is the spring of your life, 18 to 36 is the summer, 36 to whatever number comes next is uh, the fall. Then, I didn't then, suppress me. And then when you That's a bummer. Out, so putting our robes on. I'm not a math, I'm not a I'm not a mathemologist. I just made that word up for fun. Uh, I guess it's time to go jump. <laughs> right. So they say they already say seventy-two life ends. We've got these old ass people on a cliff. They're already <laughs> old ass people. They're the ones. You know what's gonna happen. And uh, these old ass people jump off the cliff. And like I said, it is shocking. It is shocking the way it is shot. That lady jumps off, bashes her face on the rock, her head splits open, nuts. And uh, not this group of friends, but another set of friends that uh, our Swedish friend's character, it's his brother, or we're led to assume his brother. Yeah. Um, he brought these friends from England, and they freak the fuck out over that. And then, if that wasn't enough, the old man jumps off, and I love the sound, the audio quality, because like we're so used to death in films being accompanied by an orchestra. You don't count on a man jumping seventy feet to his death just sounding like. But that's yeah. what it would sound like. It becomes so much more real because it doesn't have. I always over the top sound effects. I always liken to Indiana Jones punch sound effects. Yeah. Like that's cynical of exaggerated, but great. Yeah, you... that's that's what we're used to, and I think it is almost to remove you from reality enough to not dwell on how fucked up what just happened is. But this, because it's so understated and just sounds like meat on rock, like it, you know that that's really what it would sound like, and yeah, so yeah. It, it hits you different. And, and other things would have zoomed up close. You know, Tom Savini would have had a dummy head that hit the rock and the blood. You know what I mean? But this is so understated that it really hits a different way because it feels so much more real. Yeah. Yeah. You got the wind billowing 
and and kind of looking up at him with the light behind him and then just silence and the little flesh smack it's brutal yeah <laughs> can i just say real quick before we go any further if i were part of that group and i knew that was coming somewhere around like age 65 i'd be like man i don't think i'm cool with this i'm feeling pretty good and i would start training and they'd be like what are you doing and i'd be like oh i'm just jogging and then I would wait, and I would at least let them give me that important meal where I get to be the centerpiece of it. And then as soon as that food was done, when they went to try and carry me, my ass would be sprinting. So basically you're training to become a cross-country runner yes. from 65 to 72. That way, that day you have a yes. breakout. None of them have the stamina to keep up with Oh, yeah, because somewhere in my 30s, I watched this happen for the first time or something like that. And it's just like I see that, and I'm like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. I'm going to get that free meal, and I'm going to stick around till then. But no. You at least get some more years then if you were uh, in the Children of the Corn cult. That's true. <laughs> so Proceed. From that death, everything changes. And now the kids have this different view of this beautiful, peaceful village that they're at. It starts making less sense. The one guy has decided, he already knows that his PhD thesis or, or uh, doctoral thesis is, is going to be about these customs of these, these European folks. And then the, the boyfriend decides, you know, he's just shitty, man. And like he has been like hemming and hawing on his PhD and not really doing anything. And so he approaches his friend and says, so I'm going to do my thesis about this place. And his friend's like, what the fuck, bro? No, like, that's me. What you're doing is academically dishonest. You're just going to be copying off of me. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it, whether you like it or not. And so that starts a lot of the tension between the group. So the tension starts building from here. So everything was uh, kind of, you know, my ties and Yahtzee, and then these people die. They start turning against each other. Um, the girlfriend is realizing she doesn't trust the boyfriend a whole lot. The the kid from uh, We're the Millers pisses on their sacred tree, and everyone that does sick. not go over well. <laughs> not go over well, and so they're all pissed off at him. And so there's this tension between the community. And there's a tension between the group. And so that's when this film takes a turn. That's at the three-hour mark. We got two more hours to go. Uh, <laughs> because there's uh, lots of scenes. Any Anything you guys want to say uh, before we start taking them home? I just uh, want to uh, say that Kevin Costner cut is brilliant. <laughs> um, I... The, my one thing, you see a lot of uh, arrogance, uh, American arrogance with, okay. with this group there. But I got to tell you, I felt for the kid that, that they wanted to kill for peeing on the tree. I'm like, it's a dead tree laying on its side off to the side of this field. There's a good chance I could have peed on that. He, he yeah. literally went on the other side of it so no one could see him peeing. Like, yeah. peeing it's like, what do you guys want me to use, Walmart? We're out in the middle of nowhere. I peed on a dead tree. Get off me. I like the guy, the Swedish guy's like, put your filthy dick away. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. so <laughs> let's wrap it up here. We're headed towards, you know, May Day. Uh, very uh, reminiscent of the film I said I wouldn't speak about anymore <laughs> with Christopher Lee. Um, and uh, Not the bees. What's that? Not the bees. <laughs> or, yeah, the remake of Nick Cage. Um, and uh, I already forgot her name. The main, the main. Danny. Danny. Danny is, uh, you know, they drop hallucinogens again, and she becomes the May Queen. Like you do. And uh, in the process of becoming the May Queen, she's the head of the ceremony. Uh, her, oh, by the way, along the way, the friends are getting killed off. All right, and that's not a surprise either. The uh, the man who, the kid who pees on the tree, gets taken care of. Uh, the young man who I would argue is the only likable character in the film, the friend who was doing the PhD thesis. I agree. I agree with that. He goes on because he, he, he tries to sneak some pictures of their sacred book, and that's how he meets his end. Um, they're all being systematically picked off, including the friends from London who came with the brother. Um, so now we're down to Danny and her shitty boyfriend. And... Um, He's, he's tripping balls as well. Everybody's tripping out. Um, she gets taken to uh, do her uh, May Queen thing. He gets Dance turned. contest that got her he there. Gets, yeah, he gets, gets a gun job from uh, Grandma. They see how long they can do the twist, and the last person <laughs> twisting gets to be the May Queen. They had to cut Chubby Checker out for rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they just replaced, they, they all danced to the twist while filming, but then they just added in like weird Swedish noise for the yes. film. Um, and so the boyfriend gets taken away and interviewed because they want him to breed with one of the girls in the village because they think he is a perfect match. So if you, I was going to say, if any listeners think that uh, they've ever had awkward sex, Oh, you try to have a grandma touch your uh, booty hole. Doing drugs to stay up for what was happening. Oh man! Yeah, like they had to have given him Viagra because things are just too weird to not be distracted away from the boner. So yeah, yes. she goes away to be the main queen. She comes back. He's laying pipe to this girl who looks too young. With half and, a ring of grandmas standing there naked. Yes, a ring of naked grandmas singing. singing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, another one comes up to comfort the girl during the scene. Another Hot. one comes up to push his butt in the scene. As you will. And uh, then we get one of the best scenes. Danny discovers this. She flees distraught and crying, and all of her friends who start trying to comfort her just start screaming and wailing with her. You just described how I lost my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> we enter the final scene. And if you've ever seen a cult film, can you imagine that people are getting sacrificed at the end? Clutch <laughs> the pearls. So, now they've decided... This is a nine-day festival, and we now find out that nine of them must be sacrificed for the summer solstice. And it's it's the bodies that have already been killed. It's 
two elected people from the village. And now there's a decision that needs to be made about the boyfriend. And he's on drugs where he is awake and cognizant, but he can't speak and he can't move. Totally paralyzed. Totally but, paralyzed. But, and they sew him into the body of a giant bear. They went into the pudding. That they killed. That's a pretty in. disturbing scene. What's that? It's a pretty disturbing scene. Like, yeah. you're so totally bewildered and drawn in by that. Like, what What the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know? And then uh, it, it's just wild. It, it hits you a whole weird way. You're just totally drawn in by it. It's visually stunning. I mean, it oh, is. absolutely. This whole film is a visual master. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he sits in there, can't move, can't talk, burns alive. They're in this giant, like, A-frame structure that they've built. Dead bodies burning. Alive people burning. Their screams, very unsettling. People outside screaming in both agony and joy because it's part of the festival. Danny, our May Queen, very distraught, crying, covered in flowers, flower headdress, flower dress dress. And then we see Danny smile. And just like uh, Lucille Ball in Arrested Development, I look at her and I go, good for her. <laughs> and credits. Your feelings on the end of the day. I'm going to tell you my two disappointments. Number one, I wanted an end credit sequence where the cast danced to Age of Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I needed Chef from the Muppets to make an appearance. <laughs> Swedish Chef. Derby, derby. <laughs> I, uh, by, the time, by the time this movie ended, I, it was just <laughs> kind of wild-eyed staring at the screen like, oh, oh, we're done. I hope that while you watch this movie that Sandy would come into the room during wrong parts and be like, what the hell are you watching? I can... Uh, she would watch stretches of it between playing whatever games on her phone. Uh, <laughs> that's how that got watched. <laughs> but by the end of it, I just, I did, did the, like it was a hundred years long, but the end still <laughs> felt abrupt. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I was giving everybody a chance to talk before I went on to what's sure to be a long-winded soliloquy here uh here's my problem with the film i feel like frequently if you don't love this film you're dismissed as not getting it <laughs> and that's just not the case i get it this is a no, breakup film no one not a, no uh, one is surprised by this ending right no no, no. One is shocked by if you have experience in horror film and cult cinema you are not surprised by the movie. no right. and so you go to the the next level of that and and so people get frustrated because they assume that you're just comparing it and saying that it's derivative and that's not that's not my my problem with it here's my problem with it it is derivative and that's fine um 
The Wicker Man was a great film. And we can play with all kinds of things with that because there hasn't been an abundance of films like it. So if we want to do that, that's fine. The problem is, is that we do that for two and a half hours and then pretend like it's something completely different and not in terms of the narrative, but we act like the purpose of the film is only one thing to be this profound breakup movie that deals with depression and freeing yourself of oppressive relationships in your life. And, and so I get all of that. The problem is, is that we spend way too much time to get to that. And we don't explore different avenues to get to that as effectively as we could have. I have, I'm sure been a shitty boyfriend at different times. Never once did I deserve to be burned in a bear suit. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like this, we don't begin to explore this guy's death being validated at all. We, we touch into a couple different categories where he is an unlikable character, but a lot, uh, there's a lot of growth to be had for a kid in his twenties. He may not be the biggest piece of shit in the world. Uh, For me personally, I think this film would have been more effective if the boyfriend's friend just invited her because he recognized she had lost everything and that maybe this could be an awakening for her. I did not need a group of innocent people to come out and be sacrificed. And then I feel like we muddle the beauty in her acceptance because of that, because I'm conflicted with it. It's like, yeah, it's nice because she really doesn't have anything meaningful or of love in her life at this point. And this group is taking her in a, a, a girl without a home effectively has just found a home and we see her smile. That's nice. But that's with the scent of carcasses burning. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it needed to be trimmed way down if that was our end goal. And my biggest frustration with it is that we completely disregard the very distracting deriving of the wicker man. You know what I mean? Like, either it's either one or the other. And the problem I've with seen- it is that it stays in the middle and it creates these goofy ass arguments about it, like one doesn't understand what the other likes about it or doesn't. I'm I'm shocked at how many times th- there is a, a sect of the population who is sick and tired of the Wicker Man comparison. Sure, but I'm sorry, there has to be uh, a comparison. You know what I mean? Like there has to. It's 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 not different enough to not have the conversation. It's like American Werewolf in London and the Howling. You can sure. you of course you're going to bring the other one up, and I don't understand people who act like they're offended by that. And that's where I think the younger audience seems to think, like I said before, that this is Citizen Kane, which great. I mean, but you can't be angry that it's not that for people who have already seen something previous that you may not have seen that's a lot like it. So I think there comes a, a, an understanding of a because this can be a volatile argument oh, yeah. for people over this movie, but I, I'm previous to seeing this movie. And, how, and that's how you're going to perceive it. And, yeah. And I think the thing... Like I said earlier when we were talking about it, he directed the hell out of it. 
you know, Grizz, I was talking. Grizz, what were you saying? Uh, <laughs> and I think the thing is, too, is that you were shocked by the Wicker Man ending. You did not expect Edward Woodward to be the sacrifice the whole time. You think that the little girl is the sacrifice. And right. When you find out it's him and you see the Wicker Man, you shit your pants. We watch this film and you're like, yeah, yeah, they're going to sacrifice them. Yeah, it, it is to me that nothing was a surprise in this movie to me. Yeah. Like there were a couple, like there was a couple of those moments, like that first death, you know, off the cliff. That's shocking, yes, uh, but I, but not for the overall story. I knew how it was going to play out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And maybe that's unfair because any slasher movie you watch, you pretty much know how that's going to go to, and we tend to really enjoy those. And maybe not criticize those for that reason, but I also think those movies aren't supposed to be any deeper than that, whereas this one is. If if you think they cut thirty minutes from this movie, what do you think you would feel? Probably a lot different. Probably a little more generous. Yes, probably yeah. so. And and that's not to say that I didn't like the movie, because that's I did I did like the movie. I just no, don't I put it saying. in the category that some people do. I feel the same way. Um, I'm. I'm only curious. Has anyone watched the director's cut? I have not. I'm curious. I haven't had three days off work. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm curious to watch it. Of like a movie that it's already feels too long. Uh, I'm almost curious to watch the director's cut of like, um, you know, I don't know. The only thing I've heard about it is that it explores a little bit more of why we don't like the boyfriend. I already That's don't like I've it. So, you know what's <laughs> right. funny? Speaking of director's cuts, I don't like the Wicker's Man. I don't like the Wicker Man director cut. Like, I came up on the theatrical cut because that was all that was available because it was lost forever. They put out the director cut, and it becomes clunky and weird with some of the extra shit that they add. So, which one did I watch? You uh, you had my DVD, so you saw the director cut. Which I felt so you don't like Christopher Lee singing at your window. <laughs> I, uh, I I fell asleep in that movie, so I don't even know if I watched the movie. You're going to borrow it again. <sighs> I don't. Yeah, to, I was, to answer your question in short, if it had been a half hour shorter, I would have been much more okay with the conflicted ending. That is too long to reach, and <laughs> and for me, what is not one that I'm happy with. Do you, Do you think that maybe they just ran out of film and? That's why we took that ending. <laughs> well, well, I think of this as sometimes I think of it as a victory lap where a, a director has done so well with something that they get to come out and be completely unchecked. And that's what this felt like. Um, I, I just, I don't buy that I'm supposed to feel good about that ending when to me, if, if the, if, and I agree with, with the common statement that people make about it being a breakup movie and dealing with depression. So if I'm exploring these different very serious and you know sticky subjects, why am I excited that people got punished way too hard at the end? You know what I mean? That, to me, that goes against the, a lot of the, the tone of the film. I don't know. It's, it's hard to articulate, but 
it just it leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, I, overall, I like the film, and <clears throat> it's a it's a unique film in its sense of there's not a lot in this category. So it's something I will continue to revisit over the years. But it's just it's not the greatest movie of last year, like a lot of people say, in my opinion. I'm curious what you would say is the movie that's the best of last what, year. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to know your opinion on this. Uh, that depends on what category we're getting into. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Because uh, it on long enough, sir. We don't need to drag this out anymore. I want the three-hour cut of this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're working on, right? People are like, hey, no, you picked about the link to this movie. Oh, you talk about the link to this episode. You picked it. <laughs> so, um, can we? Can we? Uh, if you chose this, can I choose? Some are school. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in conclusion, um, by all means, watch this movie. I mean, yeah. if you're a fan of horror, watch this movie. Your dinner and a movie, you can have some are sausage and this movie. <laughs> well, you finna catch an ass whoop the next time I see you. It's like never jokes. Gonna see each other again. This is it's like- it. It's like jokes. Some are good, some are not. You know. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, I hope we do every episode through Zoom. <laughs> I'm gonna zoom Our audience does face. not. All right, so <laughs> midsummer. I think we'd all say watch the movie. Right? Yeah, for sure. sure. And I would be interested to see if a sequel. <laughs> yeah, Todd's going to need three more sequels for this. I feel like this movie needs at least six. Like they need to have a treatment. I want the next one. In, the next one's got to be forty with smell of vision. If you've seen Wicker Man first, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on Midsummer. And if you never, if you saw Midsummer first. And then someone said, go watch Wicker Man. This happened. A friend of mine was with us. She saw Midsummer in the theater, and then we showed her Wicker Man. And she was like, ah, Wicker Man's okay. But she liked Midsummer. So I'd be interested to hear the opinions of what your experience was first. I think that has everything to do with yeah. how a person reacts to this movie. Influence how you went into the other place. What if you watch this, and then you watch Candyman? <laughs> I think I think a fair comparison would uh, probably be like uh, uh, I don't know I, I lost it. Good call. <laughs> We're professionals <laughs> here, folks. So, all right, wrapping it up for the Midwest month. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy, please wash your hands so we can stop doing Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Stay scary. And safe.